0: Welcome to the Naturally Healthy Pets Podcast. Let's get to it. Welcome back to the Naturally Healthy Pets Podcast. I'm really happy to have a good friend as my guest today, and that good friend is Susan Thixton. Susan is a pet food consumer advocate, and she is really one of only a handful of advocates in the U.S., and she is at the head of the, the charge leading this fight uh, to hold the pet food industry accountable to existing food safety regulations. Susan's the author and co-author of several books, the publisher of the website truthaboutpetfood.com, petsumerreport.com, and Association for Truth in Pet Food. And I just want to... Uh, put a little disclaimer out there that the information that we talk about on this podcast today is current as of the date of the episode, but things do change as we move through the pet food industry, although very slowly. (laughs) That's what I've discovered in the past. (laughs) Um, So Susan is one of the, um, I think she's probably the only consumer advocate who has been to every AFCO meeting in like the past, what, 12 years, 15 years?
1: 2009. And I went to my first meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I've been to
0: quite a few of the AFCO meetings I, I, at the request of Susan. The first, <laughs> that's where I first met Susan. We had been kind of emailing, and she said, Why don't you come to a meeting? And I said, Okay. Didn't know anybody, <laughs> didn't know Susan. Had to, and I showed up. There was a room of 500 Regulators and I kind of went. Oh my gosh, this is very scary, and so I was texting Susan, going, "How do I find you?" <laughs> but it was it was so eye opening to be at that meeting, and um, and I knew nothing about it. So Susan can give us some some background info, but for me, um, that very first meeting, I went as a veterinarian. So I'm a pet parent advocate and an advocate for my patients and our pets. And um, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a strong uh, proponent of raw feeding, fresh food feeding, gently cooked feeding, but using real food for our pets. And I'll never forget at that very first meeting, I said, look, I'm just going to sit on my hands. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just a fly on the wall. And Susan's like, no, no, they have microphones up there. And if you have something that you want to say or a comment that you want to make, go up and stand in line at the microphone and get your point across. And I was like, oh, no, oh (laughs) no way. I I, mm -mm, fly on the wall, zip it. And literally the first person who did the keynote, I can't remember who it was, um, but did the keynote and said something that just made my blood boil. (laughs) about how these dry kibbles filled with all these preservatives and chemicals and horrible ingredients were so perfect for, for the pets and that that's what they are in prescription diets and blah, blah, blah. And I just about lost my stuff. <laughs> I couldn't get to that microphone fast enough. And I was so mad. And I remember standing at that microphone just trembling and trying not to cry as I was saying, You don't see what comes in my practice every day and you don't see these animals who are suffering, suffering with skin disease and allergies and poor coat and arthritis and all these chronic diseases. You don't see it. You cannot tell me that what's going on here and what's being produced is appropriate, healthy and good for these animals. And I wish I could remember what he said. Um, but man, and I went back to my seat and Susan was like, good job. And I'm like, so much for being a (laughs) (laughs)
1: plumber. It's hard to go up to that microphone and buck the system. Um, but we have to, you know, I, I mean, in part, just by what you were saying, because it's so opposite to, to what you know. And, but the other part is, is that they need somebody to give them this feedback. We, we need, I wish they had, you know, practicing veterinarians as part of working groups and so forth to give them feedback of what these vets are seeing in their offices on a daily basis. But uh,
0: exactly. And, and I have to say, I think I was the only practicing veterinarian that was ever at any of the meetings that I was at. And it, it was just so frustrating. And as consumer advocates, we have been laughed at, we have been booed, we have been ridiculed. Uh, they just I, I at the last meeting that I, I think it was the last one I attended, I went up to the microphone to talk about prescription diets and saying, there is nothing prescription in these. Why do I have to write a prescription for rendered poor quality feed ingredients that have no medicinal value? Why am I writing a prescription for this? And why am I charging my clients, well, and I'm not, but why are veterinarians, charging their clients twice what that same food would be on a grocery store shelf versus buying it in the veterinary office? And oh my gosh, the the laughter the ridicule it was just like I didn't know what I was talking about really yeah because I don't use prescription diets and I don't think that well I know we don't need the prescription diets so that we could solve all the problems that we use prescription diets for using whole foods
1: one time at a meeting um, I was there I think by myself and I got to the session. There's all these different sessions for those that don't know it's different segments of afco and i got to that session you know a little late so i had to sit in the back of the room and there was just a couple of chairs open and a young woman moved her stuff and said you can sit here and whatever the discussion was, I went to the microphone and made my comment. And then when I came back and sat down and I didn't know this woman sitting next to me, when I came back and sat down, she went, she leaned over and went, why don't people like you? And I I said, what do you mean? And, and, and she said, well, when you got up, everybody all around here said, kept, you know, we're saying she doesn't deserve to be here. She shouldn't be here. She shouldn't go to the microphone." So that's what we're all up against. You as well. I mean, this is their attitude towards change, I guess, and transparency. They, they don't, they don't like it. Now, this, at this meeting, the new president did, AFCO president did come up to me, introduce himself. I knew who he was, but, um, and promised me that things would be different under his watch. So, oh, wouldn't that be nice? We'll see. Yeah. And and that's exactly what I told him. That would be great. But, you know, time will tell. So, so
0: for, for people that are new to who I am and who you are, um, can you just give us a quick um, explanation of what we're talking about, what AFCO is, and how AFCO relates to FDA and uh, Department of Agriculture and how all the pieces go together?
1: AFCO stands for the Association of American Feed Feed Control Officials. They are an independent organization. It is not a government organization. It's an independent organization, uh, a nonprofit, that uh, writes law. They literally write, they term it, model bills, that are then adopted into state law, not federal law, but state law. Um, The members of AFCO are primarily State Department of Agriculture representatives who are charged with enforcing those laws. Uh, FDA does attend all AFCO meetings and they have an agreement, it's called a Memorandum of Understanding, agreement with afco for afco to write definitions of feed ingredients pet food is considered a feed by
0: regulatory authorities they call it like chicken feed cattle feed horse that's right
1: yeah it is regulated the same way as all these other products that are termed feed that's a that's a sticking point for me is that that dog food and cat food is termed food when the majority of them are not food. They don't abide by food law. They don't in- contain food ingredients or feed just like chicken feed and cattle feed, which is not called chicken food and cattle food.
0: So, so uh, give us a, a quick explanation between the, the difference between food and feed, at least how we would like to I mean, because feed definitely is not the same as food, um, although FDA and AFCO kind of refuse to make that distinction.
1: Yeah, they refuse big time. I've tried in many different ways. I still have one, one effort pending. Um, food is what we eat. And as example, our meats. Our meats are regulated by the United States Department of Agriculture And, um, they, they have to go through like animals are required to be slaughtered a precise way. Um, the processing has to happen in in all these precise ways in order to protect human health, um, vegetables, everything have to meet a particular legal standard to be food feed does not have to meet those legal standards. There there really are no very minimal legal standards for feed. Uh, AFCO terms it, it shall be suitable for use in animal feed. Well, just about anything is suitable for use in animal feed. One of the most crazy things is that they feed cattle chicken poop and they feed chickens cow poop they they literally those ingredients are defined by afco they have a legal definition and so feed can be just about anything feed is waste what is left over from the processing of human food so um feed and food the differences as well are in manufacturing conditions so um, for any food that contains more than 3% meat, that is USDA's jur- jurisdiction. Any food that contains less than 3% is, is FDA's. So, like a pizza with pepperoni on it, that's FDA's jurisdiction. But your TV dinner with a meatloaf in there, that's USDA's jurisdiction. When human food with more than 3% um, meat in it, USDA is on site at that manufacturing plant. The entire time food is being processed, USDA is there to assure that ingredients meet the legal standards, manufacturing meets the legal standards, so forth. Yes, mistakes still happen. There are still recalls in human food. But in feed, even though it has more than 3% meat in it, um, there, there's no, no USDA person there to make sure everything abides by law. Feed manufacturing, one of the worst examples, and this was from a Freedom of Information Act request that I got on a Mars Pet Care facility in Ohio, I believe. And, and in the report, it was an inspection report, follow up to a recall the year previous, quote, millions of roaches in the food production area. Millions yep. of roaches. And that there, there was no warning, there was no recall, nothing. That is accepted in feed production.
0: Well, it's just more protein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So I know I would one of these days, like I just, I want to go undercover and I want to go in. Like every time I drive by by one of these big feed, pet feed production plants, I'm like, I just, I just want to go ask for a tour. Of course, they never let me in. I don't think they'd let anybody, you know. But I just, oh man, I just want to be that undercover
1: person, but I'd probably get shot. And you you probably would. That's, that's no, you're kind of joking, but that's very true. I've talked to a lot of the people who, to a lot of people who have worked in these plants, and it's awful. It's it's actually dangerous for them. It is production of, in some of these plants, um, is, is very dangerous. Like the aflatoxin, Midwestern pet food had that massive aflatoxin recall. So it was like it's seven hundred parts per million in the food. So and and fifty is the max. So it was way over in in the food. So imagine when the poor employees of that pet food plant unloaded that corn, and and stink how high plant. it was there, not diluted down yeah. in the pet food, and they're breathing in these mycotoxins. These companies, the the plants that the employees I've talked to, they are not allowed to wear respiratory protection. Why? Probably because it it makes their OSHA, their workers' comp, go up. But they, they refused. One guy had two different doctors say, you have to wear respiratory protection at work. And they said, you wear it, you lose your job. They would not. So
0: imagine that. So I, I would think you would need that, not even for the mold, just for the amount of dust. Yeah. That, you know, unloading uh, trucks full of whatever grains, not just corn, but unloading trucks of grains yeah. or pouring in the powder supplement mixes with making a big dust yeah. cloud. I I would think that in the production line, everybody would have respiratory protection just because of the amount of dust particles, even if they're not toxic dust particles. But having toxic mold that you're breathing in, I mean, talk about liver failure and lung failure.
1: Well, I I wrote FDA and said after that Midwestern recall, because I was thinking, because I know so many employees of petri manufacturing, and I wrote FDA and I said, you know, you're there. You're at the plant. You, You... tested, you inspected. So why can't you just pick up the phone and make a phone call to sister federal agency, OSHA, and say, look, we found high levels of mycotoxins at this plant. Perhaps you should go test some employees to make sure that their bodies are not contaminated. And FDA refused to do that. It's not our job. Employees are not our job. That's what they told me. And how difficult would that have been, just to give a heads up to a sister federal agency. But the, the employees, just like our pets, the employees are not what's important. We just want to keep producing pet food.
0: Uh. Dr. Judy here. I
1: want to thank our sponsor,
0: Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. Do you love to read books about dogs on all subjects? I was recently a guest on the podcast, Dog Eared with Lisa Davis, where she interviews authors who write books about dogs, and I highly recommend you check it out. Lisa reads every book cover to cover, and her warm and engaging personality draws out her guests, and the resulting conversation illuminates the book, but without giving away the whole story. Also, I will be on monthly to answer her listeners' questions about natural pet health. So whether you want the latest advice on how to keep your furry friend happy and healthy, training tips, inspirational memoirs, or anything else dog. Dog Dog-Eared is right for you. Go to where you get your podcasts and type in dog-eared with Lisa Davis. So let's talk a little bit more about who else attends these AFCO meetings. It's not just regulators from the states and from FDA. There's also like, I, it's the first few times I went, because they would go around the room and everybody would introduce themselves and where they were from. And I would write as, because you're not allowed to record, I should just record anyway, but I'd write as fast as I could. And I would write each company and I didn't care about the people's names, but I would just, you know, make tick marks. And so Mars would have, 15 people there. Purino would have 15 people there. Um, Hills would have 15 people there. And then we have PFIA, which you can talk about who that is. We we have these organizations. Then we have uh, waste oil producers that are there. Why would they be there? We have renderers there, rendering associations there. Why would they be there? Um, why? What do all these people have to do with regulating pet food?
1: Well they 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 want their way so that they can make more money. And and what's awful and biased to me is these trade associations. You mentioned PFI. PFI stands for Pet Food Institute. Um PFI and the the trade group AFI <clears throat> excuse me, AFIA, American Feed Industry Association. AFIA is probably, no, probably, absolutely the most powerful trade organization in pet food. They lobby Congress. They're very active in Congress. Um, They're very powerful. PFI would be next. Um, So at AFCO meetings, there is advisors to committees that are trade associations. Fair enough. And you get to sit at the front of the room at a big table and you get a little bit more of a voice. Well, instead of the actual trade association sitting at the table and people who work for the trade association, they actually allow Mars to sit at the table and Purina to sit at the table because they put their, I'm with PFI hat on or I'm with AFIA hat on. So it's actually industry that is considered an advisor. And in some of the outside, they're called working groups, um, they take votes. and, And, you know, when there's 10 people, nine of the people are regulatory, or when there's 10 people, two people are regulatory, seven people are industry. And, and they're all PFI or AFIA who do work together. Purina and Mars actually work together when they need to at these meetings to get their, what they want passed. Um, and then there's me. You know, who's going to win that <laughs> and, and I've complained yeah. and said, you know, it's not fair to, to do votes like this because I'm, I'm the only consumer advocate in this group as compared to some industry in here and i was told it's it's Afcos party we invite who we want to the party so um they're all there to get their ingredients passed to get their um, you know regulations to delay disclosing carbohydrates on pet food labels uh, to delay all these labels modifications that we've been waiting for and waiting for, uh, you know, you've been at meetings when they've talked about label modifications. We're still waiting on it. So um, yeah. that's that's their job is to work the system their way. And even if there was an equal amount of us, I still don't think they would would, you know, make it equal, make it a level playing field. I'm doing a presentation Thursday, FDA is having a, another listening session, and it's on AFCO ingredient approval process. And that's one of the things I'm asking them for is a level playing field. You know, um, yeah. consumers have, have no idea, you know, all of a sudden there's a black soldier fly larvae in their dog's food, you know, maggots. In their dog food, and how did this? Who did this? How did this get passed? So uh, they need to level the playing field and make it more transparent. So whether they listen to me, or absolutely. Not-
0: well, I think part of their job is to make things less transparent. For instance, when we all started saying, "Hey, you know, this prescription dog food is basically chicken feathers." It, and it's $90 a bag and it's made of chicken feathers. So they changed the ingredient name. So now it's like hydrolyzed poultry protein yeah. product or something. And it doesn't say chicken feathers anymore. And at the last meeting or sometime recently, they changed uh, corn gluten meal to
1: corn protein. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. So for those of us who don't want glutens in our food, it's protein now. So good luck figuring out what. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they, and those so so much for transparency. Yeah, those are the things that of why industry's there. Yeah, yeah,
0: and unfortunately, uh, the the smaller pet food companies that are doing a really good job using whole foods, real foods, do not have the same representation.
1: Well, they they have one. They have one. Their one trade association, um, but. They need, to, they need to go to more meetings, you know, and, yeah. and they're afraid. They're afraid if they go, there's going to be a target on their back. If they go to the microphone, yeah, place, they you don't be a target be on their back. It. And I understand, but at the same time, um, they've got to be brave and stand up yeah. for what is right. And you're just voicing an opinion. You can be respectful. We're, you know, we... We feel strongly about what we believe in and we state our opinions strongly, but we're always respectful at the mic. You know, we've, we've never cussed them. <laughs> we've many it not in front of them anyway. about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, man, I can't believe it. We are out of time. Um, So for those of you who want more information about what Susan does and what her organization does, it's truthaboutpetfood.com. And Susan, as an advocate, uh, kind of holds the industry feet to the fire. And she has something called The List. And she puts it out every January. And she does a lot of research and puts out a list of the Pet food companies that she would actually consider using their food for her and own do pets. You the list, yeah. yes, the list is extensive. And um, small donation to get that list. You can get it any time of the year. It's at truthaboutpetfood.com. I highly recommend getting the list. You will never regret it. It is amazing. Um, it is only American foods uh, at this time. She can't be in all countries uh, all the time. <laughs> so. Susan, thank you so much for everything that you do. You are such a powerhouse and we really respect and admire you for all the work that you do. Right back at you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another great Naturally Healthy Pets episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for some helpful links. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to follow and listen for free on your favorite podcast app. We value your feedback and would love to hear from you on how we're doing. Visit drjudymorgan.com for healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, upcoming events, and other fantastic resources. Until next time, keep giving your pet the vibrant life they deserve. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is no substitute for professional care by a veterinarian, licensed nutritionist, or other qualified professional. You're encouraged to do your own research and should not rely on this information as professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Dr. Judy and her guests express their own views, experience,
1: and conclusions. Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets neither endorses or opposes any particular view discussed here.